Well, hello and welcome to the CSF monthly podcast for April, which aims to keep you up to date with the latest information and data in the field of rheumatology. Pleasure to have you back with us. I'm going to talk today about some data from uh, Taylor and colleagues achieving pain control in early rheumatoid arthritis with baricitinib. Um, patient reported pain is a common problem in rheumatoid, even as we all know in people who apparently have achieved inflammatory remission. So it's something that we all think about a great deal. And this is kind of interesting paper just to help us understand both mechanisms of pain and how we can address that therapeutically. After that, I'm going to talk about a paper that investigates the immunogenicity of pneumococcal vaccination in people with rheumatoid arthritis receiving uparacitinib with background methotrexate. Hard to get away from vaccines at the moment with COVID and all that has gone in that area. So this is, I think, quite an interesting update coming from Kevin Winthrop and his colleagues with uh, data from the vaccine substudy of the uparacitinib balance extend trial. Now, the final paper in today's podcast shifts our focus to a topic that's been at the forefront of most of our minds recently, namely the results of the oral surveillance study and the consequent regulatory authorities' change of advice on the use of JAK inhibitors in clinical practice. This is a prospectus paper. It comes from Kevin Winthrop and his colleagues, and it, it tries to put the oral surveillance adverse events into the context of wider JAK inhibitor studies to date. Now, if you want to access summary slides of the papers I'm talking about today, please go to cytokinesignaling.com. An absolute treasure trove, great papers, summaries, and um, slides that you can download and use. I, I do. They're really useful, beautifully prepared, and I hope they'll be useful to you as well. Okay, first paper. So this is achieving pain control in early rheumatoid arthritis with baricitinib monotherapy or combination with methotrexate versus methotrexate monotherapy. Key background elements here, well, patient reported pain is common in people with rheumatoid arthritis, even when we think we're doing pretty well with inflammatory disease control. Uh, improvements in disease activity account for only about 40% of reported improvement in pain. So there's clearly a disconnect here. And not all of the pain experienced by patients with rheumatoid is solely the result of inflammation as a result. And we, we need to therefore think about what else can we achieve with medicines available to us. So treating to a disease activity target may overlook patient reported pain. And that was really the core issue that was explored here. We know that baricitinib is shown to provide greater improvements in patient reported pain severity than either methotrexate or adalimumab. And the nuance here is that the Janus kinase pathways may well subserve pain regulatory pathways even beyond their inflammation regulatory pathways. Now that's hypothesis, but it's very interesting as we, as we look at the clinical data emerging across a number of drugs and diseases. So this is a post-hoc analysis of a randomized double-blind phase three study, RA-BEGIN, and it aimed to comparatively assess the effect size and time to achievement of clinically relevant pain improvement outcomes with baricitinib monotherapy, baricitinib on background methotrexate, or methotrexate monotherapy. And to put that in the context of improvement in quality of life at the population level over one year. So the key results, baricitinib monotherapy or combination with methotrexate provides greater pain relief than methotrexate alone. Uh, to give you an idea of the numbers, the LSM changes from baseline uh, were a reduction of 40 millimeters and 43 millimeters respectively for baricitinib monotherapy or combo with methotrexate. Um, compared to methotrexate alone, where the LSM change from baseline was 31 millimetres over 52 weeks. 
Baricitinib monotherapy or combo with methotrexate provides more rapid pain relief, median 12 to, uh, and eight weeks to greater than or equal to 70% improvement respectively. And uh, the changes were seen over a period of 52 weeks that were sustained. A larger proportion of patients treated with baricitinib achieved thresholds of remaining pain equivalent to limited pain, to no pain or mild pain. Uh, people with baricitinib monotherapy or baricitinib in combination with methotrexate had more cumulative time spent with pain scores below clinically meaningful thresholds. In other words, they felt well for longer. And patients treated with baricitinib monotherapy or, or combo with methotrexate had more cumulative time spent with patient global scores below clinically meaningful thresholds. And finally, patients treated with baricitinib mono or combo achieved the minimally clinically important differences or change from baseline of greater than or equal to five in the SF36 physical component score when compared with patients who received methotrexate only. Well, the conclusions, baricitinib is showing rapid and sustained improvements for pain, patient global SF36 physical component scores compared with methotrexate monotherapy over 52 weeks. And it would therefore appear to have greater effects on cumulative pain relief over time. Okay, next paper, evaluating response to 13-valent conjugated pneumococcal vaccination in patients with rheumatoid arthritis receiving uparacitinib. This is results from a phase two open label extension study. Um, background here, I hardly need to remind you in the post-COVID pandemic here that people with rheumatoid are susceptible to infection, their immune system is diverted, they have comorbidities, and of course they're on drugs that might change immune competence. Strep pneumonia is associated with morbidity and mortality, and for that reason, pneumococcal vaccination is recommended in people with rheumatoid receiving conventional synthetic or biologic DMARDs. However, there's a question over whether it's necessary to temporarily stop JAK inhibitors and or methotrexate prior to vaccination. I think you should know that apatacitinib is a relatively selective JAK1 inhibitor. It is approved at a dose of 15 milligrams in numerous countries for the treatment of rheumatoid. And in this study, the authors sought to evaluate the immunogenicity of PCD13 vaccination in people with rheumatoid receiving apatacitinib and background methotrexate. And this was done in the context of the Balance Extend Phase 2 clinical trial. So the key results here will at four weeks 67.5% of patients receiving uparacitinib 15 and 56.5% of patients receiving 30 milligrams had a satisfactory PCV13 response with similar responses noted by week 12. There was no apparent difference in humoral response between patients receiving and not receiving concomitant corticosteroids. The humoral responses were numerically lower in older versus younger adults. Neither of those are surprising results. And there are no deaths or serious adverse events reported. So I, I, conclusions here, well, a, a little guarded. We, we know people with rheumatoid have elevated risk of infection. Pneumococcal vaccination is recommended. This study shows that around two thirds of patients receiving the paracetamol of 15 milligrams had a satisfactory humoral response. The concomitant use of steroids did not have a negative effect, although one would always want to look at those patients using higher doses. Remember, this was a clinical trial where steroid use was, uh, was regulated pretty closely. And they certainly suggest that it's not necessary to stop uparacitinib in people receiving PCV13. 
Taking steroids at doses typically used would be a reassuring feature. Uh, however, I think we need to see in future whether some temporary discontinuation, discontinuation could increase the proportion of patients who are actually able to respond. So work in progress. Now, what about the oral surveillance study? And what I want to do is highlight a really interesting perspective from uh, a really sound thinker in the field, Kevin Winthrop. And the, the, the title here, Oral Surveillance and Jack Inhibitor Safety, The Theory of Relativity. Nice title. So tofacitinib, which is a relatively pan-Jack inhibitor, was the first Jack inhibitor to be approved for the treatment of rheumatoid nearly a decade ago. Can you believe that? And since then, more selective Jack inhibitors have been approved. And there is at least a theoretical notion that selectivity for one or more of the Jack family may have an impact on efficacy or safety. And I suppose the contention is that if you're more selective, you might be safer. I think that's still a very open question, by the way. Over time, safety comparisons have shifted from TNF inhibitors compared with non-biologic DMARDs to TNF inhibitors compared with other biologic DMARDs, and now TNF inhibitors compared with JAK inhibitors. So if you like, TNF inhibition state is the new referent. That in itself is not benign. Recently, the FDA extrapolated findings from a large post-marketing oral surveillance trial looking at tofacitinib, um, and, and they've kind of extrapolated that to, to all JAK inhibitors, restricting the use of this class to um, patients with RA only after TNF inhibitor failure. The prospectus paper aims to put the oral surveillance study into context. So a few key features here, although I recommend you go and have a look at the, the, the viewpoint in its own right. The oral surveillance study was post-marketing, conducted due to FDA concerns about potential increased risk of cancer, cardiovascular events, and serious infections. Um, in terms of infection, the findings were consistent with clinical trial and real-world studies of JAK inhibitors to date, which is namely that JAK inhibitors confer a similar risk of infection to TNF inhibitors, with the exception of their propensity to reactivate latent viruses, mainly herpes zoster. Everyone, I think, is familiar with that. What about venous thromboembolism? The increased risk of VTE with tofacitinib 10 milligrams relative to TNF inhibition seen in the oral surveillance supports the idea that VTE may be a true JAK inhibitor-related adverse event. While JAK inhibitors used in rheumatoid at approved doses do not seem to carry that excess risk, I think most of us would consider it prudent to avoid JAK abuse in patients at high risk of VTE. Now, what about uh, cardiovascular events, MACE? Within the oral surveillance study, tofacitinib at both 5 and 10 milligram doses failed to demonstrate non-inferiority for MACE in comparison with TNF inhibitors. Just say that again. They failed to demonstrate non-inferiority. Now, real-world data have established that TNF inhibitors are protective with regards to MACE compared with non-biologic DMARDs. Um, studies from the RA development programs for approved jackanibs prior to oral surveillance suggest similar MACE instance dates to biologic DMARDs. So, um, work in progress. And finally, uh, malignancy. The increased risk of certain cancers in the tofacitinib groups of oral surveillance, particularly among at-risk groups such as older smokers, could be due to jackanibs' potential to diminish the host's immune surveillance for cancer, making newer existing cancers more likely to progress. The extent to which tofacitinib or other jackanibs might increase the risk of malignancy within specific high-risk groups really now does need further study. 
So there's at least a mechanism that could lead to increased risk. And finally, mortality. Uh, mortality data in oral surveillance were reflective of the differential rates of mace and malignancy observed in the trial. So that, if you like, read true within the study population. So what do we do pulling this together? Well, oral surveillance helps to inform treatment decision-making for physicians and patients, particularly if patients are at high risk for certain outcomes. There's a clear signal of concern in this regard, and it highlights the importance of screening patients for various risk factors prior to therapeutic selection. I think we need additional mechanistic and clinical research studies in confirming or refuting the observations from oral surveillance or more likely developing the granularity of our understanding of the same. And studies comparing JAK inhibitors to no therapy, non-biologic DMARDs and even other biologic DMARDs would be useful. Uh, reassuringly, the, the totality of the findings from this newly published study and other data collected suggests that JAK inhibitors can be used safely at approved doses in at least a proportion of people with rheumatoid arthritis. Well, I hope that's been helpful to you. If you want to look at the publications uploaded this month, please access this um, at, at cytokinesignaling.com. You'll find podcasts, other resources. Uh, as I say, it's a treasure trove, and I really commend it to you. And as always, thank you for your attention. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Let us know what you think by leaving a review. And of course, as always, I hope that you stay well and safe in these very interesting times. Thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Thank <laughs> you.